So we continue in the epistle of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. And you'll notice that the Apostle Paul changes from uh, third person to first person. He talks about I and my in these verses. He's giving his personal testimony. And you hear his you hear him giving his personal testimony also in Acts chapter 22, in Acts chapter 26. But I think what we should do is read a few verses from Acts 9, because there it uh, brings out how the Lord brought salvation to the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 9, and we'll read verses 1 through, 1 through 6, and then afterwards we'll read Philippians 3, 4 through 14. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So he goes from persecutor to preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, this is some years later, in Philippians chapter 3, he's speaking to the church in Philippi. But he's defending the gospel against a group of people who call themselves believers, but said that to be saved you need Jesus plus your good works, or plus something about yourself or something that you do. And Paul is very quick to defend the truth of the gospel, and now he shares his testimony to show the truth of the gospel and how it is that uh, Jesus saves, how God saves us. Verses 4 through 14. He says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But that... But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, 
being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So our focus will be verses 7 through 14. I know it's a fairly big stretch, but I figure it's, it, it's also um, very personal in terms of Paul's uh, past, his presence, his present, and his goal for the future. really fits together very well. So you also see an outline on the back of your bulletin as well, a bit of an outline of the passage before us. You know, sometimes when you hear the personal testimony of a new believer, you know, you hear about all the bad things, the bad things that that person used to do, you know, a life of adultery or stealing or drunkenness or lying. And then you get to hear about how Jesus, the Lord Jesus, saved that person, how he saved me from all of this, and now that I'm living a new life for Jesus. And now the Apostle Paul also shares his own testimony with the church in Philippi. What he does is he makes himself vulnerable, he opens himself up, and he says, I'm going to pull the curtain off, or pull the curtain away from my life, so that everyone can see my own life, what my life was like in the past, what my life is now, and what I'm aiming for towards the future. And think about it, the purpose for him sharing his testimony is because there's some detractors who have come into the congregation, who are part of the congregation, and they're not saying Jesus is the only way of salvation. He's, they're, not saying, they're saying he's not the complete way of salvation. But you have to rest on your own good works in order for God to accept you. And notice the Apostle Paul does not begin his testimony by saying how bad he was. Right? You often hear testimonies who say how bad I was. He begins his testimony by saying, look how good I was. Right? Either way, either way, whether you say how good you were or how bad you are, Either way, you're depending on your own righteousness. And either way, it's unacceptable to God. As a matter of fact, Scripture says, either way, it's both ways are condemned by God. Whether you have a good past and you're relying on that for God to accept you, or whether a bad past, either way, is depending on the flesh and not on Christ. And so Paul says, you know, I want to share with you the story of God's grace in my life, how he saved me through Jesus Christ. And I trust that this may be an encouragement for us to share the testimony of God's grace in our lives with others so desperately needed in a world where people don't know the way of salvation. But you know, as Paul testifies of three things here, he first of all talks about his loss. You see that verses 7 and 8. And then he speaks about his gain. 
And that you see in verses 8 through 11. And then he says, there's that prize. That prize that's awaiting him. That prize which Jesus has in hand and that he's ready to obtain. That's future. So there's a past element, present, and the future. But it begins with speaking about his loss. If you look at verse 7, he says, But what things were gained to me, these things I count a loss for Christ. So what are those things which were gained for Paul? What was he boasting about in his life? What was he taking glory in in his life? Well, for that, we have to go back to verses 5 and 6. What does Paul speak about? He speaks about his noble birth. He talks about his strict upbringing. He talks about his really good behavior as a child growing up. But you know what? He's using this as a warning to the Judaizers, those who say God accepts us on the basis of good works. He says, okay, if you want to know what good is, I excel you, I excel all of you in my goodness. As a matter of fact, if you want to compare, he says, I'm the star, I'm the brightest star. And then what he does, he lists seven steps. He boasts in his own righteousness. He, he used to boast in his own righteousness. And he lists seven, seven steps. You could say seven steps of a staircase whereby he could get closer and closer and closer to God. He thought he was a climbing on a ladder to get to God. What does he say? He says, let me tell you how good I was. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. So yeah, he was born a Jew, right? He's of the stock of Israel. So he was born, you could say, as a Christian in the, in the, in the covenant. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. Hey, this is the tribe that stayed true to the line of David while the other ten tribes left David. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Oh, pure Jew. His father was a Hebrew and his mother was a Hebrew. Pure Jew. And concerning the law, a Pharisee. I mean, talking about a good man, he belonged to one of the strictest groups of the Jews, a Pharisee. Pharisee literally means pure ones, those set apart. He was a good one. And concerning zeal, persecuting the church. But he thought he was fighting for God. Right? There's people who persecute the church today who really believe they're fighting for God. So he thought he was doing something good. And concerning righteousness, being a good, per per uh, a good person, all blameless. And now he says, what things were gained to me, these things I count or consider loss for Christ. You know, for the sake of Jesus, He's willing to collect all those seven things, put them together into a garbage bag, and toss it as loss. Many things, seven things, but the word, the word loss is in the singular. All as one loss, and toss it. Compared to Christ, nothing. It's like rubbish. He knows that he was basing his life on a false confidence. There's no future in it. 
There's no future on boasting upon things about who you are and what you did. It doesn't save you. He realizes that he was totally spiritually bankrupt in the sight of God in spite of all these good things. How did that change come about? That's where Acts 9 comes in. On the way to Damascus, as he's persecuting Christians, that great event occurred which changed his entire life. What happened? Christ, as it were, what does he do? Comes down the stairs. Right? Paul's trying to climb the stairs, thinking, oh boy, I'm getting closer. No, Paul is so bankrupt spiritually, Christ comes all the way down to him, showing, of course, that he came humbling himself into death on the cross. But here he comes all the way down the stairs to Paul, to where he's at, one who's running away from God, one who's persecuting Christ, and Christ is there to embrace him, to change him. And at that moment, Paul realizes he was delusional. He was living on imagination. He was self-righteous. And he realized that, no, he was not good. He was condemned as a sinner. Then and there, by the grace of God, what did he do? Christ embraces him, and he embraces Christ by a living faith. The Christ whom he had been persecuting. You know, brothers and sisters, you know what's greater than our sin and stubbornness? God's grace. His grace is greater. His grace is stronger. And you see that in the life of Paul. And his heart and mind, he, com he experienced a complete turnabout. Something that we can ask ourselves. How about you? Do you personally know of the pity, the love, and the tenderness of Christ for you? Do you know that personally? Yeah, you know, the Bible teaches that. But do you know that in your own life? Paul melted before the grace of God, the love of Christ. The one who came all the way down, do we know him? The one who came all the way down to die on the cross. For whose sins? Mine. Yours. Ours. And you know, Paul, he gets a little, a little excited, a little emotional here, and he elaborates in verse 8. He says a little bit more of what he says in verse 7. And he says, it's worth it. It's worth It's worth getting rid of all the stuff that you boast about. Because look what you gain. Look at verse 8. Indeed, I count all things loss. For what? For the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The excellence of knowing Jesus my Lord, right? The name above all names, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Notice what Paul says. Not just these things, verse 6, 5 and 6, not those seven things in his life, but all things. Loss. It's all Christ, only Christ, and his righteousness, or nothing for your salvation. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 16? He says, 
For what is it, or for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? One can't cling both to the world and to Christ. To cling to the world and to cling to Christ is to lose your own soul. Paul says, compared to knowing Jesus my Lord, all things are as rubbish. You know that word for rubbish? Literally means manure, dung, refuse. Those things which were most precious to him in his life. Think about sometimes some of the things that are most precious and what is most important to us in our lives. Compared to Christ, it's like dung, manure. He says, it's really no loss. I'm really just giving up a burnt out existence for one who is so marvelous and great, who's gained everything for me. Really what Paul's saying is, my loss of all things is my gain. And that brings us to verses, to verses 8 through 11, 8b through 11. Notice what he says in the last part of verse 8. I count them as rubbish. Why? For what purpose? That I may gain Christ. You know, what did he gain? He gained a relationship with God in Jesus. A personal relationship. Whereby he could talk with him. God speaks to him through his word. He could worship him. Right? The Lord would guide him. But he says, I want to know more and more of who Jesus is. I want to gain even more of who he is. I want to know him more and more through the word. I want to grow in my trust and I want to grow in my confidence in him. I want to know more and more of his love for me. And then he goes on to explain two results. What are two results of gaining Christ? He brings that out in verses 9. The one result ends in verse 9. And the other result is in, is in verses 10 and 11. So two results of gaining Christ, of knowing more and more of Jesus. The first result is to be found in him. There's no greater place than to be found in Christ. We didn't find Christ. Christ found us. And what a beautiful thing to know that through faith we may know that we are found in him. And what does that mean? He goes on to explain in verse 9. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Where does the righteousness come from that we need? From God. We don't have any righteousness, at least that's acceptable to God. 100% the righteousness comes from God. How do we get it? Through faith. Simply through faith alone and Christ alone. You know, that's the only place in the world where we can find our security and comfort. We can't find it in our pedigree. We can't find it in our status. There's nothing there. It's only in Christ. Because that comfort belongs to me. He is my comfort not only in this life, but also in death. That's security. You know, 
our insurances that we have in this life only last up to the grave. So much for security. <laughs> what about in the grave? <laughs> what about after the grave? Nothing. There's nothing we can find security in, not in our past, not in what we've done, but only in Christ and what he has done. Simple. That's the gospel. Paul defends that. He defends that. I found this quote this morning. He says, never worry about who will be offended when you speak the truth. Worry about those who will be misled, deceived, and destroyed if you don't. And so the Apostle Paul, he is, he is defending himself against those who would try to rob you of that fellowship in Christ. Paul testifies. He does not want to be found clinging to his own righteousness, his own status. No way. He's not going to threaten his own salvation. He's not going to depend it on himself. He realizes this is totally inadequate. This will not save him. Think of Isaiah 64, verse 4, right? All our righteousness is like what? Filthy rag, right? That's, that's, in the sight of God, all our righteousness is as a filthy rag. But to be found in Christ is to have his righteousness that comes from God himself that is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I love that passage in Romans 4, verse 5. You should turn to that for a minute. It's so opposite to the way the think, thinking of the world. The world says, become a better person. Try harder. And what does the gospel say? God justifies the ungodly. He doesn't justify good people. He justifies the ungodly. The ungodly. Very powerful, isn't it? His faith is accounted for righteousness. Those, the ungodly, he's talking about us, the ungodly who believe in Christ, his faith is accounted for righteousness. That's 100% security, <laughs> right? It's, it's, you know, you, you look at yourself and you say, there's no possible way that God can, I mean, that I can save myself. There's no possible way. But who can? Christ. You know, righteous, we all need his righteousness. We do. In order to get to heaven, we need his righteousness. But that righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that God gives is a gift. It's like God offers it, but it's to be humbly received by faith. You know something about this righteousness? It's immediate when you believe. It's immediate. It's in our possession. It's never repeated. And it can never be lost. That's that's Christ holding on to his own. So that's the first result. The first result of gaining Christ. You know, there's something, there's a real gain in that, isn't there? When you know that you, you're found in him, there's a security and the comfort. You can walk through life with your head up high because of who Christ is, not because of who we are. The world boasts. Why does the world boast about its own goodness, and about its own Achievements is because they're insecure and they're trying to find that kind of security because they don't have it. But our boasting is in whom, says Paul? In Christ. Salvation is of him. Second result. The first one is, what? I may be found in him. Great security in that. 
a righteousness that comes from God through faith in him. The second one is, and really follows with it, that I may know him. He made himself known to us. We come to know him. And that means two things. To know Jesus means two things. If you look at verse 10, it means to know the power of his resurrection, which is a gift, isn't it? The power of his resurrection, but also it means fellowship in his sufferings, the fellowship of his sufferings. Let's look at the second one first. Paul says to know, is the, to know him, first of all, is to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Do Christians escape sufferings in this life? They don't. As a matter of fact, Christians sometimes have more sufferings. Look at the Apostle Paul. He had many sufferings. But you know what? My suffering, your suffering as a Christian, is Christ's means for us to grow more and more like Jesus. And so that we can even gain more and more of him. We identify with him in his sufferings. Those sufferings don't atone for our sins, but we do share in the... That word for fellowship is koinonia again. Koinonia is so broad, right? The fellowship we share also in his, his sufferings. And so for the Christian, the Christian sees purpose. He sees meaning to his suffering. He sees, yeah, as painful and as hard as it is, it's Christ using it so that we can become more and more like Jesus. That's what it means, you know, by becoming more and more like Jesus. What needs to happen? And this is the most painful thing about suffering. I learned to die to my sins, to my pride, to my jealousies, to my hatred. I have to learn to die to all those things. But thank God for the power of the resurrection because he enables me to do that by his spirit. Right? To die to myself. And Paul you notice what Paul says, being conformed to his death. Ouch! Right? He says, I come to know him. Right? Sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. All my achievements, says Paul, gasped their final breath when I had that breathtaking encounter with Jesus, with the crucified and risen Jesus, on the road to Damascus. Done. Finished. He says, I died on the road to Damascus. The old me died and a new Paul arose as if from the dead. That's the power of Christ's resurrection, isn't it? In us. His spirit at work in me. And you notice for Paul, you know, he, he, he says, yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to what's ahead too. I mean, there's... There's great security. There's great comfort. There's great assurance that in verse 11, he's looking forward to that resurrection from the dead. You know, our bodies become corpses. And Paul says, never mind the corpse. Look beyond that. I'm looking forward to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Oh, there's so much that Christ has gained for us that in him it's gain. It's everything. And that makes us enjoy all the other things in life all the more. Because I don't have to find security in it. I can enjoy those blessings of the Lord because 
I know it's all in his hands anyway. Paul testifies of his loss, but he says, but you know what? Forget the loss. That's just giving up a burnt out existence. I have great gain. And he says, there's one more thing I want to tell you about. And look at it this way. Don't look at the world as if the doomsday is coming. That's the way the world is looking at it. Oh, it's always doomsday, doomsday, doomsday. But the reality is for the Christian, there's a prize awaiting. It's in the hands of Jesus. And it's ready to be given. When? On that final day, the day of judgment, when Christ returns. That brings us to verses 12 to 14. Christ is his gain. But you know the first thing Paul says? If you want to look for a perfect person, he says, don't look at me. I, in myself, I'm a complete failure. He repeatedly states, he repeatedly states that he is far from perfect. See verse 12? I haven't attained this state. I'm not perfected. I don't count myself as to having attained that. Verse 13. He hasn't arrived. He feels incomplete in his life. And as believers in Christ, we too are far from perfect, aren't we? What do we struggle with every day in our life? Sin. We struggle with fears. We struggle with doubts. We struggle with Satan. And for the believer, for the Christian, that can sometimes be very powerful. Those struggles against that. It's not over yet, right? The fight continues in the meantime. And that's why it's so important to see the church. What is the church? The church is like a hospital for sinners. For forgiven sinners too. Because here is where Christ administered, the Christ, the great physician, administers his word of grace to the weary and to the wounded to encourage, okay, keep on going. Keep on going. See the prize? Keep on going. Don't lose sight of the prize. Don't look to yourself. <laughs> but look to Christ and the prize in hand. Paul is confident, not because he's confident in himself. That's what, that's what the world teaches you know, self-esteem, find confidence in yourself. No, 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 Paul would say. No, our only confidence is in Christ, Christ's esteem. He says in verse 12, and so I press on. I press on that I may take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. What's he mean by that? Well, first of all, he says, press on. He says, as a Christian, Christ has now placed me in a race. You're in a race. Not a race against time but in a race to continue to journey in your faith, by faith, to the prize. You have a new orientation in your life. You have a new direction, a new zeal, a new goal. As Paul says in verse 14, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here Paul's talking about, you know, even in this life, there's spiritual progress. The goal in his race is what? To lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. What's he laying hold of? Certainly knowing Jesus. Certainly fellowship in his sufferings. Certainly his resurrection power. But especially here, he 
He's laying hold of his final destiny, that prize. We'll see what that prize is in a moment. But Paul says, Christ laid hold of me on the road to Damascus for this very thing. Yes, to serve him, to preach about this prize, but also for me to obtain that prize. And so he presses on. The call is to press on. What does it mean to press on on a race? It means to use every spiritual muscle, every spiritual limb. It requires straining. It requires exertion. I don't know about you, but when I run, I get tired very quickly, especially if I'm in a 100-meter dash. I get to about 50 meters, and I have to stop. But the Christian race is, don't stop. Continue, continue, continue. Things look down. Don't look back, says Paul. Continue looking forward by faith towards the prize. Sometimes we look back, and what happens? When you look back when you run, what do you do? You tend to slow down. Sometimes you stumble. Maybe you bang into something. We lose focus. And when we look back, what happens? And that happens often again and again. We stumble. We fall. Sometimes we fall really, really hard. But Paul says, okay, one thing I do, I forget all those things which are behind me, and I'm going to continue to reach forward, strain forward to those things which are ahead. You know, it's easy sometimes for us to rest on past success, successes. Often then we become complacent and we become confident in the flesh, in ourselves. How easy it is to rest on our past successes rather than on Christ, and we so easily fall. Christ has his way of keeping us humble. Christ has his way of keeping our eye focused on the goal. And you know what? You are a Christian. You are a Holy Spirit-filled Christian. If you're struggling against sin in your life, if you're struggling against sin in your life, if you're fighting against Satan and sin in your life, you're a Holy Spirit-filled Christian. If not, you have to ask whether you're a Christian. If you're not fighting it, if you're not going against sin, if you're not praying to the Lord for that, that's what it means to press on, isn't it? Press on. The Holy Spirit is working in you. When you press on, it's the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And you may be confident that, as Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6, you began a good work in you, will also bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. So what is the prize? The prize is this. On the day that we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that his people, who are covered with the righteousness of Christ, may be assured of their full vindication. They're covered by the blood of Christ. As a matter of fact, today the believer can say, yes, my judgment took place at the cross. I'm set free. The righteousness in which we stand on the final day is not our own, but the righteousness that God covers us in Christ Jesus. And you know, and Christ is the door. The Christ who covers us with his righteousness is the door into the garden. The prize he earned for us is an eternal home, a new heaven and new earth, 
a feast. Imagine all the eating going on there, the fellowship, the joy, and new heaven and new earth. John says it this way, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And yeah, and the warning is that those who do not have the righteousness of Christ covering them, there's no salvation. Simple, pure. I mean, simple, clear as that. There's only condemnation. Because we're not saved by our works. You know, our prison system in Canada, what's it trying to do? It tries to make better men and women out of criminals. But what does Christ do? He makes new men, not better men. He makes new men and women out of sinners. We don't become better. That's the language of the world. We become new. There's a radical transformation that the gospel brings about in our lives. New, fighting with the old, no doubt, fighting the old nature. As that gospel, as that gospel we need to share with our neighbors, with those who don't believe. What gospel is that? God justifies the bad people. That is, the ungodly, those who trust in Christ for their righteousness. Hebrews says, let us lay aside. I love that verse. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It really brings out this passage to a good conclusion. Let us lay aside every weight, the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to whom? To Jesus, the author of our faith and the finisher of our faith from beginning to end. Amen. Are you able to share the story of Jesus and his undeserved life, love in your life with all the twists and turns? Are you willing to share that? Are you able to share that? Speaking of your loss, your gain, and the prize. Amen. <laughs>